The financial services industry has been comparatively slow to adopt targeted methods of engaging audiences across generations, particularly younger generations like millennials. Yet millennials account for over a third of the workforce, making them the largest generation in the U.S. labor force today. They also happen to be on the verge of a seismic transfer of wealth, inheriting upwards of $30 trillion in the coming years. And over the next 25 years, millennials and Generation Z stand to inherit an estimated $68 trillion, according to Pew Research. What that data tells us is these two generations are essential to the financial health of businesses and our future economy. Or, to put it simply, they are too significant to get wrong. Today, we're going to unpack how asset managers should factor generational differences into their distribution strategies, and who better to discuss it with than one of the world's leading experts on millennials and Generation Z. Welcome to The Point. I'm your host, Matt Schiffman, Principal with Distribution Insight. Joining me is best-selling author and leading speaker on Generations, Jason Dorsey. Jason is president of the Center for Generational Kinetics, the leading millennials, Gen Z research and strategic consulting firm. Jason and the center's PhD-led research team invented Generational Context, a unique approach to solving generational challenges. This approach leverages the research strengths that include quantitative and qualitative research. Jason and his team have led more than 65 generational research studies for clients on four continents in multiple languages. Hello, Jason, and welcome to The Point. Well, thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. It's an honor to get to be on the show with you. Big fan. Thank you. Jason, let's start here. People frequently describe different generations in ways that aren't grounded in facts. What are the common misconceptions around the generations? Well, how much time do we have? (laughs) (laughs) I think the misconceptions are endless, but let me just share with you some of the ones that are probably the most popular. And by popular, I mean the ones picked up in the media or around the dinner table and so forth. Probably the biggest is that millennials are all lazy and not working. And this is interesting because, you know, I run a research firm and what's fascinating is millennials who everybody says, oh, they're lazy, they're not working, they're not paying their dues, are actually the number one largest generation in the workforce. And in fact, they are the number one largest generation of managers. So the generation everybody chides for not working and not being out there and producing is actually delivering more than any other generation, (laughs) which I find very fascinating. Amazing. Some other good fun ones. We can go through each of them. Generation Z or Gen Z, the youngest generation who we study a lot right now. People say, oh, you know, Gen Z kids these days, they just spend money like it doesn't exist and it's all digital and so forth. And our research has proven numerous times now that Gen Z is actually very practical with their money. In fact, if they get money for their birthday, they'll take the money, put it away, and then go back to their parents and ask them for money to go buy something. (laughs) The parents will say, well, what about your money? And they'll say, no, no, I want to spend your money, (laughs) which is awesome. (laughs) Then uh, Gen X, who nobody talks about, first of all. So Gen X, all the Gen Xers listening are like, he said our name. This is amazing. (laughs) So people act as if Gen X isn't important. And interestingly, Gen X is the glue in the workforce. In fact, they're the bridge between the different generations. And we believe, and we've done you know, lots of work, over 700 clients now, that Gen X is actually the most important generation to focus on when it comes to employee retention. Because Gen X tells us, and this is all around the world, that they're deciding right now, do they stay where they are and finish out their career? 
or do they go somewhere else, particularly on the other side of this recovery? And so it's really fascinating that the generation people seem to overlook is actually the one they need to focus on. (laughs) And that baby boomers, yes, boomers. I talk about boomers all the time. I love baby boomers. People say things like, oh, Jason, baby boomers, they don't even know technology. Why do you talk about boomers? They're, they're, They're not important. They can't even use their smartphone. I'm like, seriously? They invented the smartphone. (laughs) You work with the financial advisor community, and there are some significant shifts going on there as boomers head to the retirement exits. So as these demographics change, will Gen Xers and millennials see the business differently? And if so, how? Yeah, Gen X and millennials, when you think sort of about financial services, broadly speaking, we look at it on both sides. One is, do they want to join these types of organizations? Do they feel they can build a business mm-hmm. there? Do they feel they can contribute? And that this there's really a solid future there. And what we are seeing is that both Gen X and millennials believe that if they are involved professionally in financial services, there's a huge opportunity. Now, it's interesting because our research shows they look at it differently. You know, many Gen Xers are much further along in their career. Maybe they've been in this business a long time. They already have relationships and so forth, and maybe even a book of business. Millennials, though, are still on the front end, largely speaking. Now, the oldest may have 10, 15 years of experience, but the youngest could be, you know, 27, 28 years old. And so they're on the front end. And I think there is some conversation with the millennial generation. Certainly, we've heard it that is this a profession long term that we can go into because our robo advisors and these other things going to displace us. Mm -hmm. But what our research has shown repeatedly is that Gen X, millennials, and even Gen Z, to some degree, really do want to work with humans, not just robo-advisors. They like it as an option, but they really care deeply, particularly the more money that they've accumulated to work with an actual human, which is pretty Mm -hmm. fascinating. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, when we look at clients, Gen X still very strongly believes in financial services. They've come up much more so with traditional financial services and relationships and brands and businesses in that regard. Millennials were the first one to really explore online only and some of these other uh, different options for being able to invest and think about their future and so forth. But what we're seeing as millennials get older, as we predicted, they actually want to work with other humans, particularly as their situations get more complicated. They add a partner, a spouse, they had kids, they had bigger purchases, commitments, and they themselves enter middle age. Da da da. I just did an interview on middle-aged millennials. <laughs> Apparently I am one. So so yeah, we do see a bright future with both of those generations. So maybe you can help us untangle this a little bit. Our research suggests that the older cohorts, the boomers, for example, are more focused in managing money on behalf of their clients, where the younger demographics, millennials, et cetera, are more focused on holistic financial planning. Is there a difference perhaps in how these generations see the client relationship? There is. That's such a great question. So what we've seen historically in our work, because again, we've studied all four generations you know, mm-hmm. extensively as clients, baby boomers view their relationship with a financial advisor as somebody who's going to help them achieve their financial goals. Mm-hmm. That could be retirement, that could be estate plan, that could be lots and lots of different things that they're trying to do to help people reach generally some agreed upon number even or formula that they've come up with. When we look at those that are serving millennials and that are younger themselves, they think about a relationship with an advisor as much more holistic. I want to actually Mm -hmm. talk to you about decisions I'm making that may have nothing to do (laughs) with financial services. And it it puts advisors in an interesting position because sometimes they're almost a counselor, you know, trying to help or, you know, a coach helping you to think about it. And that expectation, I think, really does meet the needs of the different generations. Mm. Does your research also go into gender differences among the generations? Because we also pick up threads of 
female advisors, younger female advisors, approaching their business differently than their male counterparts? We haven't studied that extensively. All of our studies that we lead, we do analyze them by gender. It's one of the things we look at in addition sure. to generation, geography, education, household income, and, and lots of other different variables that we look at. Uh, what we do know is that on the client side, certainly females and, and you know women that we talk to that are affluent do like the idea and want to work with other women as advisors. Yeah. We're seeing a lot more of that. And frankly, I think many, many firms have to do a better job of attracting more women to their ranks, to their teams, particularly even in senior leadership roles, and very much so even on boards to show that this is important to them. But in terms of female advisors approaching their business differently than male advisors, I, I couldn't speak to that directly. But on the client side, we certainly see, particularly the younger you go, that women want to work with other women when possible. And also, as you know, probably even better than me, many times when there's unfortunately you know, a death and let's say the husband dies, the now widow often will leave the advisor because they don't feel like they have a relationship with that advisor. Exactly right. Yeah. Also, our research suggests that advisors are not making prospecting millennials a priority. What are your thoughts about that? Totally true. <laughs> and a Why huge missed opportunity. Why is that? <laughs> well, I think unfortunately, as we sort of, you know, kicked off the show talking about or our conversation here, is that there's a perception that millennials don't have money. And so therefore, why should I go out and try to reach them? People forget that the oldest millennials are over 40 years old now. They've been working for over 20 years. Many of them have accumulated a lot of wealth. In fact, what we're seeing is that there are many millennial millionaires. And if you look at technology and many of these other places like real estate and so forth, what you see is that millennials have created a tremendous amount of wealth and often are underserved. They're actually perfect for advisors. Plus, they're finally making many of those big long-term commitments, marriage, kids, house, you know, life insurance, you name it. And so having an advisor is hugely helpful. The other thing I believe that keeps advisors from really engaging millennials, and this I've seen, as you know, I speak at lots and lots and lots of advisor conferences, is advisors mm -hmm. frequently say, well, you know, millennials don't want to work with somebody in my generation. I hear this most often from baby boomers and sometimes even from Gen X. And they're like, you know, millennials, they only want to work with someone their own age. And that is totally false. <laughs> in fact, our research proved that the more affluent the millennial, the more they wanted to work with someone who was older than themselves. Because <laughs> they were like, what does somebody our age right? know? <laughs> so it's actually an advantage to be an older advisor. The trick is, and this is where we spend a lot of time working with advisors, is understanding how to adapt communication and relationship building and trust building and so forth to fit the way that millennials want to communicate and build relationship and so forth. And it's not hard and it doesn't cost any money. It's just recognizing that it may be different than what you've done. But if you do that, what's so powerful is that not only do you get the affluent millennials or the millennials you're trying to reach, but they bring all their friends because all their friends are trying to invite an advisor too. And the number one thing millennials love to do is recommend an advisor to somebody else. They love the idea. They're the number one generation that refers an advisor. It's incredible. Wow. Jason, let's bring the pandemic into the conversation. Has it changed or exacerbated any of the generational differences from your research? For example, technology? Yeah, absolutely. What we've seen, you know, we started studying the impacts of the pandemic very early. And what we've found as we've led more and more studies is there's this perception, I'm sure you've heard it, where executives frequently are out there saying, we're all in this together. We're all in this together. And what our research has proved through all these studies is that that's actually not true. In fact, what we're seeing are pretty dramatic differences 
of the the impact of the pandemic by generation. Also, by the way, gender, geography, and other things. But when we look at it by generation and you sort of break it down, I'd love to just sort of walk through each of the generations with you. What we found is that Generation Z, remember, they're roughly the oldest, are about 25 years old right now. Gen Z, this is their generation-defining moment. This is their 9-11. This is that, that, that event that stopped them in their tracks, caused them to see the world differently. And this is a huge deal because the oldest members of Gen Z, the ones we study, they were the number one generation to lose their job during the pandemic, number one generation to have a loss of pay, number one generation to be reassigned to another job or have their hours cut back. They, more than any other generation, bore the brunt of this in the workforce as employees, you know, same last hired, first fired, all those things. Mm. Plus, remember, they went off to college and they had to come back or they had to, you know, move back with their parents after they've been living on their own for two years, whatever. So Gen Z, they have really borne the brunt of this. And we actually think it could split the generation later on because younger members of Gen Z have had a very different experience. Yeah, they're going to have really awful social and emotional experiences, but they're going to get the benefit of learning from those older than them, plus the benefit of the recovery. So for Gen Z, this is a very distinct and powerful experience. When we contrast that with millennials, what millennials tell us is that the older part of the generation that are roughly my age, mm-hmm. you know, they feel like they've been bookended by these two really traumatic events. Mm-hmm. Because first, the oldest millennials crashed in the Great Recession, right? Wage yeah. stagnation, rising unemployment, rising cost of living, all these things. And then they finally feel like they're making their way, finally feel like they're moving up. And then all of a sudden, what happens? They crash into this pandemic, and now they feel like they're being pulled back again. One of the things I talk about a lot in my speeches and in our books is the idea that the millennial generation really has split into two, and the pandemic has made this even worse because there's a whole group of millennials who haven't had the financial experience of other millennials in the sense that their jobs, they are still steady. Maybe they just work from home. Maybe they work in tech. Maybe they work. And there's almost a guilt among them when we talk to them relative to the other millennials who might, for example, work in hospitality or retail or something like that. So this is a huge moment for the generation. Again, different life stage. And remember, everybody said, oh, we're going to have all these COVID babies. And we were like, that's not going to happen. And of course, it didn't happen because nobody wanted to have kids during this time of COVID. But so this generation, we believe millennials already have delayed adulthood. They're already delaying these decisions. And we think this could delay it even further. And then when you look at Gen X, that generation tells us they're being pulled in three different directions due to the pandemic. They say they're often taking care of a, of a child or children. They're often taking care of a parent or parents, and they're trying to manage their job or their work or their career. So they're really being pulled in each of these different directions. And that's super difficult, but not recognized, right? I mean, my wife is in Gen X. She's six years older than me. And, mm. you know, she's trying to help her parents who are in their 80s, get their medicine and their mode yards and their couches move. And, and then we've got a daughter who's 10 and we're trying to figure out what to do with schooling for her. And at the same time, my wife is working. So all of these things are going on. Gen X is, again, not talked about, but really being pulled in three different directions. And then when you look at baby boomers and their experience during the pandemic, you may remember all these people predicted, oh, boomers are going to have to draw down on their retirement. This is going to be devastating for them. And what the data actually shows is that didn't happen. Thankfully, they did draw down on their emergency savings accounts. But Mm -hmm. what they did tell us is they do still, many of them still want to keep working as long as they can, as long as it's safe and healthy and they feel like they're able to contribute. still very much a part of their identity. At the same time, many boomers realized they may have to take care of their kids even longer than they anticipated. Because remember those millennials <laughs> right. who move back home or now right. need help with a down payment or whatever. So if you put it all together, what you get is that each of the generations is having a very different experience. So as I mm. tell executives all the time, yes, we're going through this at the same time, but the experience we're having by generation is very different. And if we don't honor that we're actually sort of putting people into a box or put, you know, sliding them, then people feel like you really don't understand, you don't have empathy for their situation. So it's it's a huge topic and one we spend a lot of time studying and talking about. No, I thank you for sharing that. Jason, the asset management community is rethinking 
the engagement model coming out of the pandemic with technology really coming to the front. What advice would you give asset managers on how best to reach or engage with Gen Xers and millennial FAs? The best advice I would say, first of all, is that yes, there's going to be somewhat of a swing back in terms of whether or not people want to do video chat or Zoom or WebEx or whatever it is. But what we're finding is a lot of people really like this as a method of communication, particularly Gen X and millennials, when it comes to conversations that they don't need to go physically meet you in order to have. And this is a big deal because so much of the asset management business, as you know, is about building relationship in person. You know, we need to get together, whether that's going to a dinner or seeing somebody at a conference or I want to share with you whatever it is we're working on. And now what we're seeing is that Gen X and millennials are like, whoa, whoa, we can get a lot of this done without having to travel or you come here and so forth. Now, I think there's going to be a swing back. Already what we're seeing at some of the events where I've been speaking is record attendance. You know, there mm. is this pent-up desire for people to get together, huge demand and desire for people to do that. However, they want to know it's going to be worth their time. And I think that really is the key for asset managers now is if you're going to take the time to try to meet somebody in person or get on their calendar, making sure it's valuable, really putting yourself in their shoes. Remember, Gen X is very skeptical. So they want to know why this yeah. is important for them. And millennials who we study, they tell us they're very outcome driven. So what are they going to get out of this? Not like a shortcut or any of that sort of thing, but they're just very outcome driven. So what's the outcome? What we talk with asset managers about is being very aware of these generational preferences and then thinking about the technology that is going to best allow you to do that. That doesn't mean that you don't want to go visit them when it makes sense. Absolutely you should. But what it does mean is you don't have to visit them in order to have this great relationship. You just need to leverage the right technology. And what we find is if you ask them their preferred way to communicate or connect with you, they will tell you. The problem is people don't ask. For example, people always send now these Zoom invites. And I and I always email them back, do you really want to do a Zoom or would you prefer a phone call? And a whole bunch of people say, phone call, please. It would be great. <laughs> so. Yeah. So let's get to the point, Jason. How can asset managers use generation research and data to improve their segmentation strategy? Yeah. Oh, I love how you say get to the point. Jason, get to the point. <laughs> the, the, the key thing here is this. People like to communicate in the way that's most natural to them. We also like to buy and build trust and so forth. And what our generational research shows is that each generation oftentimes has a different way that they want to do those things. And the best way to connect and build trust and drive influence and really be of service, be of value, is to take the time to step back from our own generational viewpoints and consider those of others. That's really the secret for asset managers is, yes, what you do may be most comfortable for you, may be most effective for you naturally, but what you're finding is that as you try that across different generations, it's oftentimes less and less and less effective. People frequently blame it on the other generations as if it's their fault, but they don't know any better, right? This is how they operate in the world. So the best advice is to understand the generations that you're trying to reach, that you're trying to build trust and influence and relationship with, look at the world through their eyes, through the research. That's what it allows you to do. It removes all that bias. So you can say, okay, this is why they want to do video chat, or this is why they think about money this way, or this is how they experience the economy. And it just allows you, we call it generational goggles, but to sort of put yourself in the place of that other person. And then when you do that, you're able to understand how to create a better experience for them. The term we use is generational context. And it's so important here. This is not about catering. This is not about coddling. This is not about any of that nonsense stuff. This is truly about seeking to understand other people and then being able to make the choice if you want to, to be able to adapt to best serve them. But when you do that and it works, and we do this all the time and the results are incredible. You know, we have such amazing results for all these organizations. Mm. When you do it and it works, people get fired up and then they want to go do more of it. And to me, that's really the trick. Start with understanding these generations, including your own, 
take one, two, three things that you think might work, give them a test. When they do work, do more of them. And then all of a sudden you'll say, oh, this is so easy. Why haven't I been doing this all along? And to me, that's the magic of understanding generations. Yeah, we would absolutely agree. I mean, the advisor's business model is becoming increasingly complex, made even more so by the differences in the generations. Jason, thank you for joining us today. We very much appreciate it. It was very illuminating. It's been an honor to be on your show and a part of this conversation. Thanks so much. Thank you, sir. Jason, thank you for joining me and thank you to those listening. Please join me next time on The Point, where we'll continue to explore where technology and data meets distribution strategy. Mm-hmm.